Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5. We're getting back to our study of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5. You'll find it on page 992 in your pew Bibles. First Timothy is great for giving us instructions on the church. As you know, we're about to enter a time, a season of uh, officer training. We have uh, three nominees for office here, and, and all the rest of our offices are, officers are going to participate in training. And so we will be uh, preparing ourselves to uh, equip these new uh, officers and uh, refresh uh, the old officers in their duties and the privileges of that office and so, looking through 1 Timothy, Paul gives instructions not only on officers in the church, but also on how the church should be conducted and what should happen in the church. And this is uh, what we'll be looking at today. You see there, if you're looking at the Pew Bible, uh, the heading for chapter 5 is Instructions for the Church. So, uh, as the Church of Christ, let us attend our uh, hearts and minds and ears to God's Word. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. Verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Well, if you've been around... Uh, First Pres Biloxi, any amount of time, you'll know that I planted a church in England a long time ago. And uh, one of the great things about that church plant, we, we planted it in, a, in an area that was uh, kind of a touristy area. Uh, we were in a city, uh, but uh, the surrounding countryside is, is called the Cotswolds. And it's a beautiful area, a lot of quaint stone villages around the countryside. Uh, a wonderful place to visit. I commend it to anybody. So we had a lot of visitors, and being one of the few uh, churches of our persuasion, we had lots of visitors from all over the world. And it was always wonderful to have people from, say, Australia come. And after the service, of course, we would uh, have a, an opportunity to visit. And, and it's amazing how you, you are connected to brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they may live on the entire other side of the world. And, of course, we had people from all over the world in the church. I think at one point we had like nine different countries, five different continents represented, uh, basically because the British Empire, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire, so all these people came and moved back to England. And so we had a lot of people from other places that were living in England and, and joined our church. So it was great to see that aspect of the body of Christ, that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation gathering together uh, under one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so today I want us to think about the communion of saints that we read about, the body of Christ, the family of God. You'll notice here in what we just read is talking about brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, the language that he uses. And I want to make uh, three points, one long point, one medium point, and one short point today. So first, uh, I want to talk about the church being the household of God, and then uh, the church being a place of encouragement, and then finally, 
very quickly, the church is a place of purity as well. Well, first, the church is the household of God. Back in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy 14 and 15, Paul is telling Timothy why he's writing this letter. And he says, I hope to come to you soon. Uh, remember, Timothy has been left in Ephesus to lead the church there. He's the pastor. I am, I am writing these things to you so that if, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church of the living God is called the household of God. That word household can be translated a number of different ways with various meanings. Uh, house uh, can refer to the people who live in a house, therefore a family. Um, it can also be used to refer to dynasties or royal houses uh, in England, as, since we've been talking about England. Uh, the house of Windsor is the, is the royal family. Um, the term house of God can also refer to the temple. And in the New Testament speaks of Christians being the temple of God, being uh, built together, built into a temple in which the Spirit dwells. Uh, God dwells with us by His Spirit, just like He dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament. You see that in Ephesians 2, and it's mentioned in many other passages as well. But the passage before us focuses on the family nature of the church. Paul exhorts Timothy, uh, being a pastor there in Ephesus, to treat the people in the church as family members. Fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. The implication is that within a family, there is respect for one another and love for one another. After all, the fifth of the Tenth Commandments is to honor your parents. And the ideal is that brothers and sisters care for one another. Now, of course, uh, we know that sometimes in families, many times in families, that's where most of the conflict is, right? Uh, brothers and sisters don't get along. Uh, brothers hate brothers and they argue. Uh, parents and children fight with one another. And even in the Bible, we see children disrespecting their parents. See Noah and his son Ham in Genesis 9. We see siblings hurting one another. Joseph and his brothers, they sell him into slavery. They couldn't stand him so much. People have a sinful nature and family members sin against one another, though it should be the one place where a person is safest because your family members are the people who should love you the best. It is often not the case, but that's the way things should be. We all know it should be that way in your family. And that's what the Bible picks up on here. The Old and New Testament both pick up on this ideal when they use family terms to speak of people who are not their physical brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, but people who are joined together as the people of God. In the Old Testament, fellow Israelites are often referred to as brothers and sisters. When people are talking to a crowd, brothers, listen to me, sisters, listen to me, and so forth. And even in the New Testament, Jesus picks up this language, and, and it is followed and carried on throughout the rest of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, most of the letters start with brothers. Brothers and sisters. Jesus said in Matthew 12, uh, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, 
Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We are children of God, children through Christ. Galatians 3.26, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And that's not being sexist. Uh, sons of God and daughters of God. Uh, you, would, you wouldn't want to be a daughter of God in their context because daughters didn't get an inheritance in, the, in biblical times. So to be called a son of God meant that you were a joint heir with Christ, which is true of all of us, whether we're men, women, children. John 1, the introduction of John uh, in verses 11 and 12 says, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John again celebrates this fact in his letter, first letter. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Children of God, as I mentioned, are, are joint heirs with Christ. What a privilege to be a child of God, and to be in the family of God, and to have brothers and sisters in Christ. And the question you need to ask yourself today, do you know that? Do you know that you're, you're a part of God's family in Christ, by faith in Christ? Have you embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And are you a member of the people of God, of the children of God, of the family of God, the household of God? The true church consists of the children of God. So we're brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And Paul tells Timothy here in the passage before us that this fact should affect how we treat one another. There should be respect and care for one another. The Greek terms for brother and sister are actually the same word. They're just in a feminine or masculine form, masculine or feminine form. Uh, the word literally means it's adelphos is a brother, adelphe is a sister. The word literally means from the same womb. So yeah, physically... Uh, you're from the same womb, your brothers and your, or your sisters. Spiritually speaking, this, this term can be applied to believers because we have been born of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ because we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are new creations in Christ. We have been adopted into the family. We're born of God, born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. So, brothers and sisters, we're in a family, a community that should love and care for one another. Now, this idea of community and family and connection is diametrically opposed to the culture in which we live. The United States of America is the most individualistic culture in the world. Radical individual, individualism elevates the interests of individuals over the family, community, 
and nation. American culture, more than any other culture in the world, attributes one's character, identity, and life conditions strictly to individual decisions and choices. And this is just not true, nor is it biblical, because it's never that simple. We might look at someone and judge them and say, look at all the bad choices they made. If they would just make better choices, their lives would change. But that's not necessarily the case. Yes, our individual choices play a part and we're responsible for those decisions, but we're also influenced and shaped and molded by other people in our lives, by our parents, by the culture in which we live, and by the circumstances of our lives. These things mold and shape us. You are not who you are simply because you decided to be who you are. You were shaped and molded by your parents or lack of parents, by the culture around you and the voices that you listen to, the media that you listen to, whether you listen to the Bible or not. These things influence you. So it's not simply you deciding who you want to be. A lot of people would like to think that today. I can be whatever I want to be. You know, I can identify as whatever I want to be. I could identify as a billy goat if I wanted to. And that would be legitimate, and you can't judge me for it. That is radical individualism. That's an extreme example. But it's absurd. We are the product of our choices, yes, but influences. Voices directing us. What's, what's making you who you are? Is it television, family, friends, or the Bible? We have experiences, negative experiences, positive experiences. They both shape us into who we are. And, and I could go on. So radical individualism is an absurd position to take. But it is also unbiblical. If you think about 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the body of Christ, that gifts have been given to the body of Christ. And Paul stresses there how much we need one another. You might say, I don't need anyone else. I can worship God anywhere on my own. I don't need the church. I don't need anybody else. I can go worship at the golf course. And as I mentioned several weeks ago, the golf course is not a place to worship God. It's a place where you lose your religion, in my experience. I'm not a very good golfer. But the church is a place where we need to be and depend upon one another. And Paul stresses this. He says, everybody's been given different gifts. And we need one another's gifts. You need my gifts, I need your gifts. You need the people over here's gifts and they need your gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And he goes on in, in 25 and 26. Uh, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if we are the body of Christ, if there's a part of your... Think about your own body. If you've got a broken arm, you're, 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 just, you're hurt all over. Or, hey, some, people have, some of you have back problems, and it's miserable. Uh, you can't function like you want to function. Same is true of the body of Christ. If one part is suffering and one part is not working, the whole thing is not healthy. So we need one another in the body of Christ. 
You need others. Others need you. You may think you're insignificant. That's not true if you're a believer. Christ has gifted you, and you need to use that gift for the encouragement of others. More on that in a minute. So the church is the family of God. The church is the family you need. This idea that you don't need anybody else or that you can just do it on your own, that's a, that's, 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 that's a myth. That's, that's false. No matter what our culture says, you cannot make it without the support of brothers, sisters, fathers, and mothers in Christ. Paul is telling Timothy as a pastor, don't be harsh, but be encouraging to your family in Christ. This is a good encouragement for myself and the officers. Timothy was a pastor. The officers of the church, do not be harsh. This is God's family, your family. Encourage them, but it's also for all of us. Being harsh or rebuking an older man, as it says here, rebuking an elder, is to express strong disapproval as a type of punishment. And not just rebuke, but to reproach or to denounce, to really come down heavy on somebody. How many times do we see that happen? The PCA, our denomination, has just come out with a report at this past General Assembly on abuse, abuse of all types. And we've been instructed to distribute it to all of our officers in all the churches and to all the congregations so that we can understand abuse, understand it when we see it, uh, and root it out of the church. Because the church is not a place where abuse should be. But that's the case a lot of times. There's a lot of people, a lot of leaders who abuse their power. And we've seen it time and time again, and it's been in the headlines of the news in the past couple of years. We all need to encourage one another and not reproach one another, not abuse and use our power over others. We must encourage one another. And it brings me to the second point. Church is a place of encouragement. The word encourage is parakaleo. Uh, para, think of parallel, two lines that run side by side or parallel lines. Uh, and then kaleo, it's the word to call. So parakaleo means to come alongside and to speak or to call out to someone, to encourage, to comfort, to uh, exhort someone, to admonish someone. The word has a broad meaning. So think of it in different contexts. Uh, think of a drill sergeant in the Army. Uh, you know, sometimes the guys from the Air Force run by in the wee hours of the morning and they're calling out, you know, their cadences and, and jogging along. And these things are encouraging to them, to encourage them to press on in their exercises. Or think of a drill sergeant in the army, you know, barking at, the, at his troops to get them to keep on marching, to keep on going, to do better. So that's parakaleo. He's coming alongside and exhorting them. Or think of someone running a, a marathon. I've never experienced that myself, don't want to, but I have been on the sidelines and cheered people on as they run by. Go, go, you fool. Uh, you're killing yourself. Keep going. You know, but if you've ever been uh, on a sports team, even if you were in a little league and your mom and dad are cheering for you or the crowd was cheering for you, uh, it does help you. It helps you and encourages you and you keep going and you do better. Or think of someone suffering and you come alongside them and they're suffering and you're you're giving them words of comfort and, and, and encouragement. That's what that word means. All of these things, continuously coming to people in whatever they need and helping them to move forward. Think about the word 
courage, encouragement versus discouragement. The root word is courage. And courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Got that from the dictionary. So we face difficulties in life. We face problems from a broken world. We face sin in our own lives. We are sinned against by other people. We constantly are faced with problems that crop in our lives, like health problems or work problems or relationship problems. We need courage to carry on. How are we going to get up in the morning and face this trauma, this difficulty, the, the grind of my life again and again and again and again? How am I going to walk with Christ over and over, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment? How am I going to do that when it is difficult? When everything in my life is fighting against that. The world, the flesh, my own flesh, and the devil. How do I keep going? I need to be encouraged, infused with courage, not discouraged, not to have my courage stripped away. So Paul is telling Timothy here, don't rebuke, don't be harsh, but encourage. Come alongside and help them through uh, whatever difficulty they're having or whatever error they're growing in and, and help them to continue moving forward in the faith. And that's what we're called to do as the family of God. The word parakaleo is also the word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit when Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come in places like John 15 and 16. He's talking, he uses the term paraclete. It comes from this word. So you read the word, sometimes it's translated comforter. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of John there. Paraclete, the Holy Spirit is our one that comes alongside us, lives in us, encourages us along the way. The, play, the church is a place of encouragement, and we need to ask ourselves, how can I help someone feel like it is worth continuing on? Are you actively helping someone continue on. Now, I think most everybody comes to church and, and wants to be encouraged. Uh, we come, we think, I'm looking for encouragement there, and if we don't get it, we're discouraged. Well, maybe the problem is that everybody's coming to be encouraged, and nobody's coming to encourage. If we're all coming to just be encouraged, then who's the people that are encouraging if we're not actively thinking, how can I encourage others around me, then maybe nobody's getting encouraged. Who are you trying to encourage within the church? Um, who do you know? Have you listened to them? Do you know them? Are you trying to help them move forward? Who are you trying to encourage outside the church? Because there are people outside the church who are your unborn brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't know who they are, but they're out there. They're waiting. Maybe they're not waiting. Maybe they don't even know they need it. But there are people out there who need to hear about Jesus. How do you encourage someone inside the church, outside the church? Well, the first step is to just listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. 
So it's most importantly just to listen. That's what Mark Horn is so great at doing. No relation. Mark and I aren't related. Uh, so this is not nepotism in any way. But Mark is great about going. He'll go down to downtown Ocean Springs and he will listen to people and talk to people and hear their story and just be there to hear and encourage them. And then he gets another meeting and another meeting. Uh, and he continues to reach out to people. Take an interest in other people's lives and don't just think about your own life. And the younger you are, the more difficult it's going to be because you've been swimming in an ocean of radical individualism, that you have, been, you have been shaped and molded to think only of yourself. It's time for us in the church to start thinking about others. As Paul said, Philippians 2, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let me explain what he's saying there. He's saying these Philippians and to us by extension, look, have you ever been encouraged in Christ? Has, has being united to Christ by faith and being a child of God, has, is that encouraging to you? Have you ever been comforted because you know that God loves you? Have you ever enjoyed the fellowship of the Holy Spirit knowing that the Spirit is in you? And he's testifying that you're a child of God. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gotten affection and sympathy from the Lord? Well, Paul says, do me a favor. Do that to other people. Have that same kind of mindset. Share that same kind of love. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's what it means to be in the body of Christ, in the family of God, and to care for one another. To think of your brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and encourage them. Here's a song that I loved back in the 80s. I thought it was really encouraging, and it speaks to this. It's a song called Give It Away. And it says, the chorus says this, I won't read the whole thing. When you find a ray of hope that shines like a priceless treasure, give it away. When you find a love of Jesus upon you without measure, give it away. Give a little grace to someone trapped by yesterday. Take a little love to the place they went astray. You can make a difference. You can lead the way. Jesus is the answer, so let's give his love away. Encourage one another in the Lord. Finally, briefly, this is the short, short point. The church is a place of purity. That last little phrase, in all purity certainly applies to Timothy's encouragement of younger women in the church. Okay. Every commentary I looked at uh, affirmed that. Uh, he was a young man. Paul told him, don't let anybody despise you because you're of your youth. He was a young man and, of course, faced sexual temptation. It was prevalent in that culture like it is in ours. So this is a word and season, especially for leaders in the church. We've seen too much impropriety and sexual abuse in the church, and it needs to stop. It must stop. But certainly this phrase can be applied to all our interactions within the church. We should always encourage one another in all purity. Now the word purity here comes from a word that originally meant 
that which inspires awe. That which inspires awe. So if we take that and think about it for a minute, pure things inspire awe. If you see uh, pure gold, I mean, you'd be like, wow, that's pure gold. Very cool. Awesome. Or if you said, uh, or somebody could prove to you that there is nothing in this glass but H2O, no impurities whatsoever, that'd be pretty cool too. You know, I'm not drinking chlorine or fluorides or any of that other stuff. It's just H2O, pure stuff. I would be in somewhat of an awe of that. Pure encouragement. What if the church, a church, this church, showed pure encouragement? That would inspire awe by all who saw it. That would blow people away. If they saw a church that was such a strongly tight-knit family that welcomed people into that family and was constantly encouraging one another, that would inspire awe by the world. As it is, as we are, we need to look at ourselves. Are we growing? You know, we have a lot of in and out here on the coast because of the base, military, and so forth. But there's a lot of people, I mean, we are the second largest county, growing county in the state of Mississippi. And, and we're not growing like we need to be, like we should be in a place that is the, where the population is growing. Perhaps it's because we are not the kind of encouraging family of God that we need to be, welcoming people in from outside into the family. Conclusion. I read this article yesterday from Tim Keller, and, and he concludes the article in this way. He's talking about renewing the church. Jesus started the greatest movement in the history of the world, not with any seed money, nor with, any, nor with an organization. Let me start over. Jesus started the greatest movement in the history of the world, not with any seed money, nor with an organization or institutions. He didn't leave behind a book or even a vision, mission, and values statement. Instead... He left behind a group of friends who had become a community through common bond with himself, but also through shared common experience together. And they changed the world. Love to see that here. Love to see it in our presbytery. Love to see it in South Mississippi and throughout the Gulf Coast and all over the world. And the Lord is building his church. We need to plug into what he's doing, and this is what he's calling us to do. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word that challenges us, that exposes us in our sinfulness, our selfishness, our lack of love, and our apathy to the world around us. Lord, we pray again that you would stir us up, encourage us to press on with the mission that you've given us. Lord, I pray that if anybody is here today that doesn't know you, that's not part of the family of God, that they would recognize that they need you. They need brothers and sisters. They need fathers and mothers. And may they call upon you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and adopted into your family and children of God. What a blessing it is. Lord, we pray that you would shape and mold us into children who bear your resemblance.
of love and mercy and grace to a world in need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.